It's the last week of the legislative session, and things are moving pretty quickly at the Roundhouse. This is your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. Did you know that New Mexico is the only citizen-run legislature in the country? While that sounds good, a legislature run by the citizens, it does have many drawbacks. There's a resolution making the rounds in Santa Fe that would pave the way for lawmakers to be paid. Matt Grubbs from New Mexico PBS joins me for more information on said resolution. He also has updates on the budget, the Opportunity Scholarship, and some details on the Legal Settlement Transparency Act. Your New Mexico government starts now. Hold on just one second. Last week, I spoke with Gwyneth Dolan from New Mexico PBS about PARA, the Public Employees Retirement Association. Now, in our conversation, we talked about the cost of living adjustment that was a point of debate at the Roundhouse. A $75,000 per year retirement income was a number mentioned during our discussion. It was later pointed out by a listener that after two decades of being a college professor for the state, their retirement income is a third of that number. We did some research and found that the average retirement income for former state workers is a little less than $30,000 a year. We wanted to mention that and give some clarity and context to the discussion. Personally, seeing that $30,000 average makes me hope that state lawmakers get para fixed and make the cost of living adjustment work out for all retirees. And guess what else? The podcast has listeners. How about that? Yay! All right, back at you for your New Mexico government on Mondays. I talk with Mr. Matt Grubbs from New Mexico PBS. Matt, this is the last Monday of the podcast. How do you feel about that? I feel a little misty, my friend. Yeah, so do I. So do I. So I got a question for you. Okay. Now, Matt, can you explain to our listeners New Mexico's unique position when it comes to paying state officials? Sure. Um, Especially when we're talking state legislators, we are the only state uh, in the nation that doesn't pay our legislators a salary. Wow. Yeah. um, They get per diem, um, and that's IRS per diem, and it's um, oftentimes for Santa Fe, so it's about 160, 170 bucks a day. Um, They get mileage, that sort of thing. So um, there is um, reimbursement, um, and that reimbursement can total, you know, $20,000 $20,000 in a year. I've seen them up by $40,000 a year. That's pretty rare. But, mm. you know, that's to attend committees, um, to go to official legislative business, that sort of thing. You know, for the most part, that's that's closely monitored. There have been some lawmakers over the years who have, uh, you know, turned in receipts for rental cars and also um, claimed mileage, that sort of thing. So, but, you know, for the, for the most part, I think they follow that. So the idea, um, there's a constitutional amendment out there. The idea is that you could potentially broaden the pool of people who would be willing to serve if you made legislating a job. And if you, you know, gave people an actual salary so they could devote more time to it and they wouldn't have to have, you know, one of the few types of jobs, uh, you know, lawyers, teachers, police officers, something like that, where you're either protected by a union and can serve or you just have the sort of uh, sort of work that you can afford to take, you know, a month or two off or, or at least pay a lot less attention to your business during those months. Yeah. So the question, it would actually go to voters. Um, it's a constitutional amendment and it would have the State Ethics Commission um, look at pay structure for elected officials statewide. So that would include governor, PRC, et cetera, et cetera, but it would also include lawmakers. Um, and that would go to the voters in November, and they would decide whether or not the Ethics Commission would take a look at that. And there are lawmakers come down on this on, on sort of uh, different different points of view. Um, 
one of the questions is, uh, does this constitutional amendment, as it's worded, it doesn't actually say um, lawmakers in it. Um, it just says state officials. And so there were um, a couple of people, um, I believe, on the House Republican side who were saying, you know what, this, we need this to be more clear. And so we'll see. Um, it's a fascinating proposition. I mean, there there's a good argument to be made that you would end up getting more people running, you know, if, if they got a salary and they didn't have to worry about, well, I can't, you know, maintain my other career, they could just stop it. And uh, instead of, you know, paying part-time attention to both things, they could pay full-time attention to being a lawmaker. Yeah, I understand that because given the structure and the way it is now, it would just behoove people who have the resources to be able to not work and focus strictly and solely upon legislative business to run for office and work. Those of us who, you know, work for a living uh, five to six, some seven days a week would have possibly, you know, they would have an opportunity to run and get their voices out there. And then that would, like you said, it would widen the pool and widen perspectives. Question for you. Do you know why state lawmakers aren't paid in New Mexico? Oh, boy. Um, that goes back to goes back to statehood. And um, oftentimes, you know, the idea was that, you um, it wouldn't be sort of a a path to power or or um, or profitability, you know, that you wouldn't sort of make money off um, state affairs. Um, you know, we know now that most of the people who work up there make much more money doing something else. Yeah. You know, it's a, and it's always just sort of stuck with New Mexico is this idea that we have a citizen legislature. But as you saw with um, New, Me- New Mexico Ethics Watch, which I know you guys over at KUNM have, have covered, mm-hmm. um, they did a, a study on the influence of lobbyists. And lobbyists um, in New Mexico have perhaps an outsized influence because uh, these are citizen legislators. They aren't pros, um, and they, they can't afford to spend um, the time that they do, um, even now, uh, some of them would argue they spend a lot of time learning how to be a lawmaker and um, that sort of thing. And so they have to lean on lobbyists um, for a lot of the technical details, that sort of thing. Um, one sort of perhaps less publicized part of this would be that um, if you are going to have professional lawmakers, you'll have to have professional staff. Yes. Um, and so it'll be uh, a more expensive proposition. It'll be a professional proposition. Maybe that's what New Mexico needs. It um, looks like it. Yeah, it brings us into the 21st century and forward, and it could potentially limit conflicts of interest. I was look, reading a piece by Dan McKay of the Albuquerque Journal he released on Saturday, which mentions that Speaker Brian Egolf recently recused himself from a debate on the medical cannabis bill due to a lawsuit that he's involved with. McKay goes on to state that Rarely do lawmakers recuse themselves for a vote. So is the potential for conflict of interest or straight up corruption the impetus for this resolution? Is that one of them? I, yeah, I think it's partly behind that. Um, it, you know, you end up with, as as Dan said, and, and you accurately quoted, it's not very often that we see lawmakers recuse themselves. In fact, on the legislative level here, you know, if you're an educator, if you're a teacher on the House Education Committee, you know, or you're an attorney on the Senate Judiciary Committee, or you're in oil and you're on Senate Conservation, um, those are seen as, well, we've got someone who really knows the field. Yeah, you do get that benefit, but are are those people conflicting themselves out of votes or yeah. excusing themselves from votes? Um, not as often as some government advocates would like. So it's a it's a really it's a fascinating issue, and as you can tell, it's one I could talk about for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, it's it remains to be seen whether or not this will get through. Um, it it has a, a, a entire body to get through so far. So um, 
we'll see. But it's really interesting. This is the first time that I can remember in a while that it's that it's been a serious discussion at the legislature. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Now, moving on, I kind of want to mention, since we're talking about conflict of interest and transparency, let's move on to SB 64. Our old friend. Our old friend. (laughs) You and I spoke about this, where it's um, about transparency in government. What are the updates on this? Yeah, so this is this was our uh, our chat at the beginning of February, and it was um, the bill to make settlements public. Um, right now, uh, the rule says that settlements with state government have to be kept secret for six months, and it has a number of different um, uh, sort of date marks or benchmarks. And the government was basically playing games and saying, "Well, this isn't technically a closed settlement," and they were just sort of it would remain secret in perpetuity. Um, This one got legs this session, and it went through both the House and the Senate um, great guns, and it's up to the governor, and she's in favor of it. So we expect a signature, probably a ceremony too. So it's kind of nice for for folks to be able to see something uh, that had been controversial in the past, and uh, lawmakers came together and decided, you know what, Democrat or Republican, we would like to see these settlements as soon as they happen or as soon as practicable. That is very good news. I like that. Now, moving on to our good old friend, the Opportunity Scholarship and the budget. They only have, Thursday is it. They have to get this thing locked in and ready to go. Where are we at with it? Um, Senate Finance has it today, and um, they will go, I mean, they've had it for a week, so they'll go after it, and they've been combing through it. Um, Senators are allowed, um, the the way it happens is the House always starts the budget, and um, it goes over to the Senate, and the Senate tacks on amendments, and then it goes back to the House to agree. And so there are literally hundreds of amendments that get offered by individual senators, whether that's for um, specific programs, whether that's to make some programs whole, funding for the Ethics Commission. That's one that we've heard a couple of senators say that if they don't see that in the in the amendments or in the changes that the Senate would make as a whole, that they would offer those as amendments. So that's something that's pretty important. Uh, but anyhow, this all gets sort of piled in there, and some of the House stuff gets carved out. Um, there's been a lot of news lately that uh, the budget has grown even beyond the $7.5 billion that it, that it was projected to be, um, up over eight. Uh, House Republicans are really upset with that. You're likely to see that come back down. I can't see something coming out of John Arthur Smith's committee this afternoon that would be over budget, and they'll just figure it out later. Um, that's not usually the way he operates. So we'll see, but it's likely to be um, a fairly different budget than than what we've seen. One of the things that could happen, as you mentioned, is um, opportunity scholarships could become a much uh, slimmer version of their former selves. Mm. Um, what they're talking about right now is that they would turn it into um, uh, a multi-year rollout, where the, the first year would be um, they'll offer scholarships for um, associate's degrees. Um, so that could be community colleges, could be four-year schools that offer associate degrees. Um, they expect uh, fewer people to take advantage of that, um, and so it would be less of a hit to the budget. Um, they would get a read for how many people were interested in, in taking advantage of that, and then they would roll it out to four years, four-year schools in, in subsequent years. As you know, there's been uh, some argument about uh, how much is this going to cost. Estimates are anywhere from 26 to like $60 million, depending on where you are in the rollout. So that's very much up in the air still. Uh, both the governor and John Arthur Smith, the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, have said that they are they are willing to keep working at it. But as you mentioned, they're running out of time. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll keep an eye and ear 
to it to see where it develops. And this is all interesting because given, you know, our first topic, I wonder how all of these moves and the legislature will change, should change, would change, given that they are full time lawmakers. Um, I wonder with that, would it come a change in the session? Would we no longer have a 30-day session and 60-day sessions and off years to something more year-round? Should they be paid? This is very, very interesting to see what develops. Yeah, you would, you know, one of the things that you and I have chatted about a couple of times um, is cannabis. And, um, you know, we had a task force that worked on this, um, kind of a road show. They went around the state, tried to figure out what everybody wanted. Um, and then they came to the session with a bill that got changed a bunch of times. Um, we saw the same thing with Red Flag. I yeah. think what you might see if you had professional legislators is that you would by the time a bill gets dropped, there would be far more consensus. People would know more about what's going to be in that bill. So that might be that might be a byproduct. I mean, there's nothing to guarantee that that change would take place. I'm just looking at it from a systemic standpoint. It would seem more than likely that you would end up with a lot more communication about some of these some of these bills. Yeah, and a lot more communication, clarity, and transparency is good for the entire state. You bet. That's what the project is all about. Hey, one more bill that wasn't on our note uh, to chat about was the first one that you and I talked about the uh, the drug program, the prescription drug program. That yes. is up at the governor now, and it. It provides a few hundred thousand dollars for the state to administer that program to get prescription drugs from Canada. Um, and that one that one made it pass. We you and I asked some questions about that. And but that's one that uh, lawmakers liked and, and went on up to the governor and she'll sign that. OK, alleviate some of the financial pressure on people in the need of prescription drugs. Even in 30 days, the New Mexico legislature is getting things done. Just like Matt Grubbs from New Mexico PBS gets things done. Matt, I'm going to miss talking to you on Mondays. Maybe we can do this every once in a while. Yeah, I look forward to it. Definitely. It's been fun. Yes, sir. Thank you for everything. You bet. You too. And that's about all the time we have for today's episode. Many thanks to Matt Grubbs for joining me. Be sure to tune in to New Mexico PBS for the latest updates on the Roundhouse and all things New Mexico. Tomorrow on YNMG, my guest is Julia Goldberg from the Santa Fe Reporter. We're set to talk about benefit corporations. I look forward to it. For everyone here at your New Mexico government, I'm Khalil A. Colonna. Thanks for listening. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNF, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our legislative coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation and the New Mexico Local News Fund.